Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13, this is God's holy and infallible word. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That is God's word for us tonight. This series, What All Christians Believe, is especially going to be a series on the Apostles' Creed. In the back of our Psalter hymnals, those blue hymnals, you'll find three creeds and three confessions that we subscribe to as a church. As members of our church, we affirm that these creeds and confessions are a faithful summary of God's Word and help us understand God's Word. Confessions are longer documents. They're more detailed. Creeds are more concise. Why does a church need things like this? Why don't we all just say, I believe in Jesus? And you know, there are people who say, no creed but Christ, as if creeds and confessions are bad things, or at least kind of unnecessary. The fact is, God's people in the beginning had much simpler statements of faith. God's Old Testament people had the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That was a confession of faith. It summarized their faith. There is one God. There's a lot in there, actually. There's one God, not many. All the cultures around them were polytheistic, many gods. And that little brief statement of faith also got at the fact that Israel's faith was through hearing. Hear, O Israel. That's in contrast to the visual nature of the religions around them. Hear starts getting at the importance of God's word, the fact that he speaks to his people and we listen. And then our text, Matthew 16, gives a summary of the faith after Jesus came. In the New Testament, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In New Testament times, also many places, you'll see the phrase, Jesus is Lord, as the summary of the faith. And if you professed that in the days of the early church, that meant you were a Christian. As time went on, Christians thought, well, but what does it mean? that God is one. When the scriptures talk about the Father, the Son, the Spirit, how does that all work? And what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? And some people were saying, well, that means kind of like he was a really great human being. And others were like, no, it means he was and is actually God. Councils 
gathered and met to study these sorts of things, to sort it out until the church came to agreement. And creeds developed out of those councils to flesh out those original statements of faith that some people were going different directions with. By the 4th century, the Apostles' Creed, pretty much as we know it was developed, and then later we have the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, those are also in the back of the Psalter. We call all those creeds, and if you're looking in the back of the Psalter, you see the heading, Ecumenical Creeds, and that means universal, and that means that's what all Christians everywhere believe. Of those three, the Apostles' Creed is the most ecumenical. And just as a little aside in this introductory sermon, creed just means belief. The Apostles' Creed was first written in Latin, and the first word, word is credo, credo, and it means I believe. Now, I think this is all very relevant for us in our day. There is a time and there's a place to make a distinction between different churches, different denominations. We want to talk about why we are reformed and what that means for how we worship and what our church looks like and how we read the Bible. And there's a time to talk about what's different about Lutherans or Catholics or believers who are in these standalone churches like Willow Creek or Wheaton Bible Church. Some of those differences will no doubt come up in our series like they do in sermons naturally, but also important in our day, I think we're discovering as believers, is what we all believe. Discovering and cherishing and sharing those essentials that unite us with Christians everywhere and in all of history. I think about that when... I read the news and, and you, you know, we're, we're seeing this potential threat and spread of, of the religion of Islam in our world. I think of that when I think about the growing belief that people have that all faiths are okay. In light of that, we need to know what unites us. What makes us Christians together in the face of what seems to be growing unbelief in our nation, in our world? You know, there's this, this guy who's far and away the front runner for the Republican nomination for the presidency. You might know who I'm talking about. He has said that he, I don't know if he said he loves the Bible. I think he said he appreciates the Bible. And his membership is on the rolls of a church. But when talking about his faith, he has said, and this was a few weeks ago, that he's never asked God to forgive his sins. Even though he claims to, he claims to be in the, the realm of, of, of Christians. Of, of Christians. He's on the rolls of a church. Well, knowing the Apostles' Creed gives you the tools to evaluate that kind of statement, because we find there that the forgiveness of sins is one of the most basic articles of the Christian faith. So knowing the Apostles' Creed, it, it, it reminds us, it, it helps us, it, and it keeps us who we are in distinction from other faiths, other beliefs. Something else this does 
the study of the Apostles' Creed, I, I think it gives us an amazing picture of the community that we belong to as a people. It tells us this historic creed and faith tells us that the church is not some fly-by-night operation. Christians are not some sect. You don't belong to some odd sort of splinter group when you come to worship here at Faith CRC. You and I are part of the most expansive, diverse community this world has ever known. The community of those who believe in Jesus. The community that has subscribed to the Apostles' Creed counts millions and millions of people from all nations, all languages, all cultures and colors. We find that you and I aren't the only ones who want to put our trust in Jesus and who are desiring to live for him. We're part of a community that goes back to the upper room and even goes further back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve to make for himself a people and later he called Abraham and his descendants. And that's really encouraging to me because sometimes I feel all alone in, in the faith that, that Sarah and I are trying to raise our family in in this day and age and this culture we're living in and in the kind of church that we're trying to build here. Sometimes feel all alone. Studying this ancient universal creed reminds me I think it should remind you, too, that there is a great cloud of witnesses. Sometimes, as, as your pastor, I see your church, our church, I see what we're striving for, and I honestly feel sometimes that we're the only good, solid church around. And it might sound prideful to you, but I seriously, and then I, I have to realize humbly, that cannot be true, because God has his people everywhere. Even if I do feel very strongly and good about who we are in terms of our worship ministries and our mission, but we are not alone. God has called and gathered and kept his community of people throughout the millennia. And even now today, he's keeping his people around the world. We are brothers and sisters with all who subscribe to this creed that we're going to explore. Now, when Peter made that confession, we read that Jesus said in response, on this rock, I will build my church. And here, right away, we have one of those places where Christians can differ. What did Jesus mean by that? Peter means rock, Petros. So was Jesus saying he would build the church on Peter? That interpretation pretty much has led to the idea of the popes and papal succession with Peter as the first pope. More likely, I think, is that Jesus was saying the church would be built on Jesus himself, who is the solid rock, or on Jesus, on Peter's confession of Jesus. Those interpretations that it's built on Jesus, built on Peter's confession of Jesus are similar, and both would lead us to see the Apostles' Creed as that confession of Jesus as the Christ spelled out in a little more detail. 
For the rest of our time tonight, I want to talk about the foundations of the creed. The creed is our foundation in a real sense. We stand on our confession of Jesus as explained in the Apostles' Creed. But there's a bedrock layer of belief that underlies that confession. Bedrock is way down. It's something solid on which you build your foundation. Question answer 21 that we read together earlier lays out in a very beautiful way that bedrock of belief, something prior to the Apostles' Creed in a sense. It's on page 14 in the back of the blue hymnals. If you'd like to take a look, I'm going to be following that as we go on. I think we can see there bedrock beliefs. These don't necessarily come up in the Apostles' Creed, but they're kind of assumed by the Creed. It's a foundation to the foundation of our faith, in a sense, the bedrock. And these two are all things that all Christians agree on. All Christians agree first that faith involves a knowledge founded on God's word. All Christians agree that faith involves a knowledge founded on God's word. And you see that in the first part of question answer 21. In a world where faith, faith can be treated as if you've got a sense of something or an intuition about something or a feeling about something, Christians say real faith, our faith, involves knowledge. Knowledge. In a time when we can be all about what's practical, where it seems like people are looking for how-to sermons from the pulpit, we affirm that there is real content to the faith. There is doctrine. There are facts to be known. In John 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, eternal life is about knowing God. Hebrews 11 says, faith is being sure and certain about certain things. Being taught God's word, learning it, this is part of our faith. You may not be a good student. You may not have enjoyed school when you were younger. You may be more of a hands-on type person. But we are all called to be students of God's word in a very real sense. And if we're not naturally wired with that desire to learn and to be taught, I think we should ask God to create it in our hearts, a desire for a knowledge of him, a desire to grow in knowledge of him. Some Christian traditions have a greater or lesser emphasis on that knowledge. There are, there are some churches, for example, that hardly want their pastors to go to college. Others value a clergy that goes to college and then goes to seminary too to really develop a knowledge of God's word, the history of the church as a basis to lead a congregation. Christians might differ a little bit on how much knowledge is important for a believer, but all Christians agree that faith involves knowledge. There's content to the faith. There are ideas, doctrines, truths to be grasped with our minds and taught and learned and discussed together. Faith is a knowledge, we read in question and answer 21, 
and a conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. So the content of that knowledge of our faith comes not from mere men and women, but it comes from the written word of God. We believe this word is God-breathed, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says. That means it's infallible, it's reliable, it's true, it's without error. How exactly groups of Christians or different churches treat the Bible, though, can differ. For example, the Catholic Church puts the tradition of the church and papal pronouncements, it seems from our perspective, almost right up there at the level of importance of the Bible. But the fact that God reveals himself in his word and that what we believe comes out of that is part of that bedrock of belief that all Christians everywhere have, including Catholics. And it has implications for the idea of growing in knowledge and of the faith. And it says something, doesn't it, about the importance of God's word in the life of the church, in our worship, in our personal lives. We all agree, this is the second piece of that bedrock of belief, we agree as Christians, second, that our faith also involves an assurance that's embedded by the Holy Spirit. It involves also, secondly, an assurance embedded in us by the Holy Spirit. If the knowledge founded on the word makes us think of our minds especially, and our minds are to be engaged as people of faith, then the deep-rooted assurance, question answer 21 talks about, makes us think more of our hearts. We should be talking about teaching and learning and knowledge, but... The faith is more than that. Our faith is not an academic exercise. There are some people who really, really enjoy learning. The church, though, is not the same as going to a classroom lecture. God's word touches our hearts. God's word changes us inside out. When we read that true faith is not only a knowledge, but also a conviction, that shows us that it's deeper than a knowledge. And then when we read it's an assurance, too, that takes us at an even deeper level yet. The faith goes into our hearts. It's planted there by the Holy Spirit. It has to be. It has to be embedded by the Holy Spirit because this faith is not something in us naturally. It's a miracle of God. It's got to be put there by him. The words in question answer 21, sheer grace, get at this too. Faith is a gift. It's not something we can earn. It's all of God. It's earned by Christ and applied and put deep in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We all agree as Christians, finally, third, that our faith involves reconciliation experienced by all believers. We read, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. In other words, faith does something real. Something happens. And one of the best ways to describe what that thing is that happens is reconciliation. 
We were estranged from God. We were apart from him in our sin. The distance was too large for us to ever hope to bridge. But through the word, through the spirit, by grace, through faith, believers are brought into relationship with God. My dad and mom are here tonight. I'm really glad for that. They're going to be here for a couple of days. I gave them a couple dates where my 7th grader and 10th grader have home volleyball games at Timothy. And that's Monday and Tuesday. So they're here for that. I remember when I was younger, I was a kid still living at home. I remember when I did something that I knew was wrong or I had a disagreement with my dad, I would really, really hate that feeling. I would just have this unsettled feeling inside of me. And, and, and I, I, I would be unsettled until I went to say I'm sorry if I needed to do that or, or go to him or something. We talked it through. And then our relationship would be whole again. And then there was a peace in my soul again as his son. Separation from the father, that's the situation of mankind. And it creates a restlessness, a longing, a lack of satisfaction and peace. It's an unsettledness. And it's in all people, even if those people can't articulate what's going on. Though we are the cause of the rift in the relationship, God came in Jesus to make things right again so that we don't have to experience that separation from the Father, that sense deep down that something just isn't right. We've been made forever right with God. That's reconciliation. This is part of the bedrock of Christian belief that all believers have experienced that reality. This, this is something, there are a number of dimensions of this reconciliation, this thing that happens. It's something we experience in our hearts, so if you're reconciled to God, you have a peace that passes understanding because things are right with you in him. You are secured forever. And with that reconciliation, you can weather whatever storm. On another dimension, this is something we experience and enjoy with all believers. It unites us. We know where we stand. We know where we're going. We're God's children now together. That experience, what happens in real faith, is so powerful, it's so life-changing that there's another dimension in that the reconciliation spills over to everything a believer does. It, it spills over to our world. Through believers, the world can get a taste of reconciliation, that peace. And it's our desire that through the message we carry, others too would come to know Jesus and join the community of faith. Our text ended with a beautiful promise. Jesus says he will build his church on this confession and not even the gates of hell will overcome it. That means that God has brought all 
who believe to the winning side. It means that even your life, your soul, your body, and faith church is part of the church Jesus is building that nothing will stand against. Isn't that incredible? May God build us up in our faith, even through this sermon series in the upcoming weeks.